everyone, welcome to the eighth episode of the APIs Uncensored uh, podcast. Lorinda, it's so great to have you on, on, on the show today. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Ulo. It's nice to be awesome. here. Um, I'm sure it is because we have a very fantastic guest with us, uh, Vanessa Meyer from Load Impact. Uh, Vanessa is Marketing Director and Product Manager. Hello, Vanessa. Hi. Hi. How are you guys? We're, we're doing awesome. How, how about you? How's the Swedish summer? Whoa. This week, fantastic. The rest of the week, not so fantastic. <laughs> the rest of the summer, not so fantastic. But this last week has been good. Great. Yeah, I know. It's been a bit, a bit up and down, I guess. So, yeah, um, yeah well, so just I before we start... Well, I think we should point out that Vanessa is actually based in Stockholm. You, yes. you can tell from your accent that you are <laughs> a Stockholmian. But okay. we should point it out that Vanessa is a Canadian in Stockholm. I am a Canadian in Stockholm. A love refugee, as they call us. Okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now we have some why, more to talk about later on. This far north. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. So, uh, just so, uh, just before we get started, we have a, a, like house rules and um, that we usually don't follow, but just for the sake of, of uh, telling telling you them. So, the rules are uh, basically more applicable to to Lorinda and me. We're not allowed to mention any of the products that the company we work at uh, makes. Um, if we do, anyone's allowed to make an annoying noise uh, to kind of try to block that out. Uh, I don't think it's ever actually happened. This is kind of a gimmick. I think right? we did it once. I did it. I think I broke the rule one time. You did. Oh, I'm shocked. Okay. Well, uh, but uh, Vanessa, obviously, you're allowed to talk about um, the product and the company you work at because uh, that's partially why you're here. Uh, so, and uh, we're just gonna start by uh, talking talking a little bit more to you. So, Vanessa, tell us a little bit about Load Impact and who you guys are because I don't think everyone knows what you do there. And, yeah, um, we are a Swedish-based, uh, Stockholm-based company with Swedish founders um, that really sort of were one of the pioneers, uh, you know, in the early, like mid 2000s of uh, bringing load and performance testing to the cloud. Um, so we are a load and performance testing software as a service uh, that's in the cloud, basically. Um, with a very sort of sophisticated tool um, that is offered on a self-service basis, and that's sort of that direction that we're headed. Um, we've been making a lot of moves recently, just you know, relaunching. We relaunched a third version of our service in March with a totally sort of new UI and, and an emphasis on user experience, um, and making big improvements to our scripting functionality for scripting tests, um, offering more and more in terms of monitoring and 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 sort of. Yeah, monitoring and paying attention to your performance over time, so things related to performance trending. Um, and uh, quite in, in pretty soon we're going to be launching things for more for collaboration, so team and, and team-based accounts, uh, as well as an integration with New Relic. So that's, that's where we're at, um, performance and load testing. I was going to ask that, uh, a little bit about load testing in general. There's um, in my, as far as I know, there's one one big player in the market that has, a, a, at least from what we can see, a huge market share. And then there are a bunch of uh, players, both in the SaaS and on-prem space. But specifically about SaaS, is is that is that a uh, is that a crowded market for you to be in? Are there a lot of competitors that do similar things to what you do? There are a lot of players, and there are a lot of free and open source alternatives too. Um, but I think what we're noticing is 
um, it, it's coming down a lot to the services. So it's, it's beyond load and the generation of load. It's the other things that we're offering. Um, and it's, it's, it's catering to your target audience in a way that that's niche to them and that meets their needs. So I think everybody over time, all these players are, are sort of staking claim to some subsegment, whether it's BIs, for example, or more sort of operations uh, groups that have more concern with, with more integrated system testing and performance and load testing for integrated systems, or more developers who are more concerned with code and code performance. So I think everybody's sort of going in and trying to find their path and, and building their tools um, to, to meet the needs of those particular segments. Okay. Is, 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 my, from my seeing, is, is kind of, I mean, load testing used to be, or, or often there were like people who were dedicated to do performance and load testing, uh, and it was kind of really a, a, a step in a process of launching software, but now, mm -hmm. is it, do you see it being a more integrated part of just a DevOps flow where load tests are an automated uh, step that, you know, uh, you do your deployments and you run your automated function tests and, and load tests and et cetera, and you maybe even run them, you know, schedule them and run them, uh, you know, once a week or whatever, kind of to keep an eye on your system? Or Absolutely. do you see like a change in behavior of how people are doing and approaching load testing? Absolutely. I think it's the, of all the testing types, we, we know what they're, we're sort of the last ones that, that are becoming sort of part of that continuous integration, continuous delivery process and being sort of fully automated. Um, but we've seen a big change in behavior and how people are, are running their tests. I think the more that we can make the, the, the experience CI-like with thresholds and the ability to, you know, abort performance tests, especially load tests um, at, at a certain stage or with some you know, preset uh, thresholds, the better. Because if, if you are going to automate and sort of let it run on its own, you need to be able to have some control, particularly when it comes to loaded performance testing because, you know, you're not kidding around when you're talking about load. You can bring your system down. So. Um, yeah, but we're def we're definitely seeing that change. Uh, we we have an integration with with Jenkins and Team City, and most of our competitors do do as well. And we're seeing a big uptick yeah. in that. Do you see any? I mean, load testing was also one of those things that people usually didn't know, do and, um, until it was too late. It, it yeah. Is, is and I, I would say that in, in an API in a cloud world where it's really hard to kind of estimate how your API is going to be used and and. Um, but on the other hand, it's also much, maybe much easier to adapt to higher load, at least if you're using the elastic nature of the cloud. Do, do you see any, uh, are people more um, proactive with load testing, or is it still the same kind of, you do it in the end and hope uh, that it'll be okay? Or uh, I, I, so I'm going to jump in and, yeah. and expand on that, because I was going to ask the same thing. I also, from an API perspective, I'd be curious if you see a difference in uh, in adoption of load testing based on whether you have internal or external or public APIs? Mm. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't really have much insight into if there's a difference between internal and external. We do have quite a few companies, quite a few customers who are testing internal um, because they're large, you know, they're large companies with a lot of integrated components, internally integrated systems um, that they know are sort of performance critical. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. I guess it really depends on how performance critical that those APIs are. Um, but but the API testing is definitely uh, definitely happening more and more. And I think there's it, it it doesn't always have to do with large load and sort of maximum capacity. It has a lot to do with with latency, with the ability to to be responsive at uh, 
at a reasonable sort of re reasonable response time. Um, so we're seeing more emphasis on that, you know, performance being a differentiator, something that, you know, if, if you are an API or you're integrating or you're, yeah, API is your product, you're able to put that forward as sort of a, a unique selling point that, you know, your response time and your API call response time is, is, uh, is adequate and it was above sort of the standard. Um, oh, really? And that, so and that's, you see that as people, that's interesting. So you've seen people that uh, using that as, as competitive advantage, saying basically we're faster than them, use us. Yeah, I think I, I I can't name a specific customer right now, sure. but or specific API right now. Um, but I have no doubt. I mean, if if you're getting if you're an API, uh, you know, if you're an API company and you have SLL uh, SLAs to meet, or you have you know you have to differentiate sometime, somehow um, if you're in a crowded space uh, doing you know whether it's communications or paying in APIs. Um, this is one definite way that you can differentiate. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about load testing uh, in the context of API, so specifically, uh, but I was, I was going to go down the route of, of uh, also, do you see people load testing, maybe not just their own APIs, but also APIs that they are dependent on, or, or kind of, I mean, today if you're building a, you know, a cloud service, often you consume APIs from Google mm -hmm. and Google and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that they kind of stand up to the low. I'm, I'm sure it's not easy, uh, and I don't know if it's feasible to do that. But it would kind of, a, as a, as an academic exercise, it would seems to me it would make sense to kind of make sure that the things that you depend on, because it'll be the weakest link that kind of is, is yeah. what's going to uh, give your end user experience. Yeah, yeah, it, that's the thing. Because there's so many dependencies, it's 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 the best effort, frankly. What we tell a lot of our customers, you know, try to simulate reality as best as you can, but if you don't have the authority to include, you know, a third-party API in, in the testing, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of the limit of, of what you can do, but you can, you can sort of try to, to, to emulate what you expect to be uh, reality. You can reach out to the third-party provider and ask, you know, what, what are some service levels that you can sort of assure or, you know, to try to get that into the testing, uh, the test script or the test case. And I think this is where, and that's why your integration with New Relic is very smart, right? I think this is where you cross the line over into monitoring as a performance metric. So really, you know, I, I can imagine the much more common scenario is if you've got a third-party API and you care about the performance of that, you're going to monitor that over time and yeah. keep an eye on the performance of it and, and when it starts to degrade. I mean, obviously, too, if they have an SLA, the third-party mm -hmm. API has an SLA, the best way you're going to know that they didn't meet it and you shouldn't pay your fee uh, is if you're monitoring it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, think, I think it's getting harder and harder to not – they were always, you know, kissing cousins, performance testing and monitoring. But I think as we've gotten into this very integrated world, they've – they've gotten much closer and much more tangled together because I think your your whole performance strategy really needs to include both. Yeah, that and that's that's a lot of what we're saying is is we see we see a surge in a lot of API developers um, getting in and being curious about performance and load testing, but they're they tend to come in going, okay, well let me just, you know, hammer this one API endpoint to kind of get a sense of where it's, you know, where its breaking point is or where it starts to degrade or whatever. And that, that has its value, but it needs to be sort of complemented by an integrated systems test and try to understand 
when you have those dependencies, um, how does everything, or, you know, what is, you know, what's the failover measures if some, if, you know, one thing breaks down, how, what, how does that affect the rest of the system? So I think we try, we try to communicate that as much as possible. That you, can, you can hammer an API endpoint, you know, that's one thing, but it won't give you a tremendous amount of insight if you have a lot of dependencies. Just the nature of the cloud is something that seems to be very uh, well fit to kind of generate large, large uh, amounts of load from all over, the, all over the globe. Is that yeah. something that you see your customers kind of making real use of that possibility to generate you know, load from, from the entire from global stations, or is it still very focused on one, one point of, of load generation? No, it's absolutely from a global perspective. I think the, the emphasis on reality as much as possible, um, and most of us operate in global businesses, and you know, that aha moment when you realize that the, you know, the, the experience likely, the likely experience that your user has if they're coming from Australia versus, you know, when you're hosted in the U.S. and, and, and being able to simulate that and realize that, you know, the response time, the performance is completely different um, is quite critical. And there's some optimization work that can be done. So uh, I think whenever being able to simulate reality is, is a key is a key part of this. So, yeah, definitely, as well as using different, different service providers, um, whether it's if you're hosting AWS using Azure to, to simulate load and so forth. That's another uh, another point that people like to try to, to test out. And is that Did something you? that you have? Sorry, is that is that something that you have as part of your feature set? Um, yeah, we work with Rackspace and um, and AWS right now, and we'll be adding more uh, more providers going forward. So, so I was, I was going to ask. Um, so, what, what are the common do you see any common patterns of what is causing bad performance? Is it is it is it commonly like network related, or is it just bad you know backend uh, infrastructure, or, or or do you is is there any kind of things that you see kind of uh, beginner mistakes when building new APIs and putting them through their first load tests? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't probably be the best person to comment on this. I'm sort of recapping what I know. There's internal debates internally, and and you know our, our our team that are mostly from the the QA background and the testing background would argue it has a lot more to do with you know the the, the network and, and and sort of the hardware and and how that's put together. Some others in the company would definitely argue that it, it stems down much more to to code. Um, so it, different schools of thought, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking. If, I guess what I was getting at is is if if it ha if it's often that the 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 reason for bad performance is out of your control. Maybe it is kind of infrastructure that's hard for you to influence, or it's bandwidth, or whatever. It's not yeah. some index you can tune in your database, which is usually maybe very annoying, but it's also great because it's easy to fix. Uh, mm. I'm just wondering mm. if there's some kind of there is definitely some elements that are out of one's control. There's definitely elements that are out of control, out of one's control with network and stuff. But it's um, there's some optimization work that one can you can do if you realize that you know any sort of network delay um, can can sort of change the way your application is responding or your application is rendering. So you can make you can make some changes to it to adapt to that. Uh, and the question more related to IoT, do you see any? Because I have to mention that, right? So, is, do you see any like, are there people venturing into load testing and maybe not just the traditional REST API protocols, but looking at load testing, uh, you know, IoT devices which use other protocols? Which you know, I'm, I'm thinking often IoT devices send a lot of data, you know, often and kind of 
need to make sure that that can be handled. Is, do you, ha you see that? Are people asking for that? Or maybe it's, even if it's not in your future, that, do you see any demand for those kind of I haven't seen it yet. I think there's some case we made that, you know, with the Internet of Things, I don't think there's as much concurrent, sort of, uh, depending on what, what, you know, what it is we're talking about. But I don't know if there's as much issues with concurrent sort of requests in that, that, that scale. Um, at least not right now, and not that I can think of right now the the sort of Internet of Things products that I'm, I'm thinking of now. But I haven't I haven't really seen anything specific. Um, but you know we have 165,000 users who are testing all sorts of things, so it, it's likely out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing it is. So so what would you say is the is the I mean, so if you give like advice to someone that's building their 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 first APIs and uh, and you know, at least thinking maybe we should do a little test <laughs> before yeah. we launch this. What would you? What advice would you give? Except, of course, they should use load impact. Is 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 there um, something that you 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 could share or can think of that maybe isn't obvious uh, for someone that's new to the field? Um, I would say um, it could have a lot to do with. I'm trying to think of something specific. Um, it likely has a lot to do with what type of metrics to look at. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of an exact answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something specific. Um, we have certain concepts that we like to like suggest when you're testing an API in terms of what to consider um, and what metrics to focus on. And um, you know, there's different there's different things to consider if you have arrest or soap, um, you know, if it's a, if it's if it's a mobile app that sort of uh, the client that that's that you're dealing with, um, uh, as well as the integrations to consider. You know what are the integrations that you can include or that are sort of critical. Um, mm -hmm. I remember working. I worked for a previous company, um, which was a mobile app, and uh, we were built on on Facebook's API. And it was, you know, had we done proper performance testing in the beginning, we would have realized a very sort of critical issue if there was, you know, a lot more concurrent users than we were used to and that our reliance on Facebook's API at that point would, would bring us down basically um, uh, just because of the way we, we were sort of using the API and we were like, collecting data just during a registration process, sort of a critical transaction. Um, and had we done proper testing, we would have realized that. So it was, it, it, I think it really comes down to understanding those, those dependencies and those integrations that you have. Um, and, and if there's a way to sort of spread out the amount of transactions that are happening with that, that particular integration, if it's at a certain a, a key, key sort of point in a user's journey, for example, if you have a software, if you have sort of a client um, in front of it. Um, uh, yeah, I'd say that's about it. Yeah, but I think that kind of ties back to what we talked about a while ago is, is don't just hammer your single API endpoint, see your system as a as a whole, right? As a, and make sure that you cover all the external dependencies and boundaries, and, and uh, yeah, make sure that you kind of identify. Especially if you if you're depending on something like Facebook or other, you know, big where you would think that they'll probably never be the bottleneck. Maybe that's exactly what the bottleneck. Well, is. that's it. It's kind of understanding your key transactions, yeah. um, and and when you're doing testing, is focusing focus primarily on those those key transaction response times um, because that's where it, if if you are sort of user facing and have a client, you know, that's where you'll lose people. That's where you'll lose users. That's where you lose revenue. 
um, if it's sort of in the buying process or in the sign-up process. Yeah, and I think also it's interesting because, uh, I mean, we'll get back to this a little bit later, but I think the, the nature of, of REST APIs is in general that they can be pretty chatty uh, or like uh, you, you get my, often much more data than you maybe need for, you know, for, for whatever purpose you, you're actually calling that data and kind of, I think it's easy to kind of, at least I'm, I'm, I easily make the mistake to think, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll fix that later. <laughs> You'll never get around to later, then it's launch time and then suddenly those kind of things hit you. So is kind of having performance in mind early on is, is, is a good thing. It's, it's similar to kind of security, uh, which uh, um, is also something that people usually don't think about uh, uh, just at the, at the beginning, only in the end when it's usually too late. Yeah, I think performance is one of these subtle things that it, it has a lot to do with, with sort of a trending of regression or improvement. So you know, it's 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 following your trends. Mm. Ah, and these one-off tests, you know, they, yeah, they'll give you insight for your product, your API, your you know, your integration at that at sort of seeing it in a larger picture of how how your development effort, how your optimization efforts have been improving or degrading your system. Yeah, that, that's a good point too. I think the kind of doing, not focusing too much on the numbers, but on the on the trends, and, and maybe and, and based on that, doing trying to do low tests early and often is to and kind of see okay when we introduce this thing, things really slow down and kind right. of not looking at you know went from ten to fifteen milliseconds, but it kind of it, it was it just got slower and trying to see that. I think that that's also a, a really uh, um, important kind of thing to have in mind and not just look at the numbers at the end. Yeah, I think that's key. Cool. Dorinda, were you trying to say something? I was. I was having a lot of trouble with my microphone, so uh, so this is a little after when I wanted to say it, but I think, um, you know, you used the example of the Facebook API, and I think that goes back to what I was saying, too, about understanding how your API is going to be used is a really part, important part of your load strategy. So when it comes to, you know, are you building an internal API and you have a known quantity of, of, uh, of load that's going to be hitting that because you have a, an insular world, um, then that's a whole other load strategy than I'm creating an API and I'm making it public and it's kind of the wild, wild west, right? I don't know who's going to use it, and I don't know how often they're going to use it, and I also, you don't know if they're going to build an app that's going to go viral, right? So maybe their app right. is wildly successful, and it's just pounding your API. So I think, you know, that's got to be part of your thinking as you're building your load strategy is, well, exactly how is my API going to be used? And, and understanding what your thresholds are, before you even go out there. So if you're going to do yeah. a partner or a public API, knowing what your thresholds are makes it much easier to put your rate limits in place and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that sort of then a little bit gets into to a lot of what I've been talking about from a marketing perspective about really understanding, you know, how, you know, what is your sort of how does your API play in your in your marketing and your growth strategies? The more you know what role your API plays. In, in Facebook's case, for example, their API is really about powering and promoting their product. It's, you know, versus load impact, for example, our API is really about 
you know, increasing customer lifetime value. It's really about trying to get people to use our core service more often, more frequently, and, and sort of stick, stick, stick with us. With Facebook, it's about increasing, increasing the sort of the size of their marketplace, getting more people to become Facebook users, and getting more content in the Facebook ecosystem. So in that application I was talking about previously, you know, that, that whole application, that, that, that transaction point that really crumbled was uh, users trying to basically sign in with their, their sign up or sign in with their Facebook uh, login and, and publish content from this application into their Facebook sort of their, their news feed. So it's exactly what Facebook would want. It's this whole objective with their API is to build that ecosystem. And they sort of for whatever reason, I'm not sure what their SLAs were. I know we weren't allowed to load test um, and include Facebook's API in the load test. We weren't allowed to do that. Um, but you know, the fact that it fell apart at that point was sort of against the whole growth objective that they have when their their API is meant to power and promote their marketplace or their sort of ecosystem. Mm. They set they set a limit to that growth, basically. Mm. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I, but I think that's a, that's an important point. Is and like you said, it all feeds into your your strategy, your marketing strategy. How widely do you want your API to be adopted? And then, mm -hmm. you know, when when you make that decision, you're taking on an enormous burden uh, because you are now the thing that everybody else is relying on. You know, I think that we keep we keep talking about we're going to have to have somebody from Facebook come on and. Uh, respond to all of this Facebook commentary, but um, but you know there was the whole Facebook Connect episode where the Facebook API, you know, all of these uh, these news sites and and paywall sites were relying on the Facebook API, uh, you know, a few years ago, and when it went out, you know, they had a bug and nobody could log in. And so here you are paying for a service online, a new service or whatever, and you can't get to it. I think, um, you know, we all learned some valuable lessons from that, and that is if you are providing that API that is, you know, so essential, so mission critical to somebody else's application or website, exactly. mm -hmm. then you, the burden is on you, right? Absolutely. Um, and so the other the other sites who are adopting your API, they could be putting all of their monitors in place, but you need to do your load testing. You need to know what your thresholds are, and then you need to be monitoring to make sure you're staying within your thresholds. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Especially because in that sense, like I said, you know, it's it's of strategic importance to to Facebook and, and you know there are other there are other companies that are you know all sorts of companies trying to build these marketplaces of integrations. They're trying to be the sort of the de facto place to go um, for for different tools that work together, different you know applications that work together. You know Salesforce do the same um, and build and building that dominance and and that's a strategic decision. That's a strategic emphasis for them. So if they if they can't guarantee to the applications, often these usually small, sometimes startups with a great, you know, a great idea that are looking for exposure to be in, whether it's a Facebook, uh, Facebook marketplace or Salesforce, but they still, you know, they're, they're putting, they are probably putting their, their eggs in one basket, and if there's not a guarantee of stability and, 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 and scalability, it can be problematic. Um, because in the, the, from the end user's perspective, they blame the company that they're yeah. trying to do business with. Um, even though that company can have very little control over that API transaction that's based on a third party. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen even, I mean, other kinds of examples is where, is where those APIs have actually been removed or taken down. I mean, that's maybe more an extreme, uh, not performance related directly, but I guess there's always a risk uh, when, when you build your business a very tightly coupled to someone else's mm -hmm. service. Uh, and um, it's probably something that you don't really think about at the time mm -hmm. when you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that I think even from just speaking from a personal experience, you know, in product product development, I mean, we're thinking about all sorts all sorts of avenues to grow the business, and and of course we're considering, you know, should we build it ourselves or should we integrate, you know, with another service? Um, and you know, as in, in a product management role, I of course, you know, have doubts and go, well, what if they, you know take down API endpoints that we need or what if they, they, they close it or you know you, you have these concerns everybody's very it, it is of course great because it's enabling a lot of collaboration a lot of sort of best-of-breed products that are just sort of integrating and partnering with each other and, and building these great ecosystems of, of tools but uh, each you know when yeah when you're trying to make sure that you're delivering a great experience to your customers and that that is a big part of your sort of your differentiation, you're concerned with can this other party, you know, deliver and are they stable and, and, and can I count on them from that perspective? Yeah, so so I guess this kind of segues us into the topic of the day that we wanted to talk about, so which was more around, the, I guess, the business of APIs. Uh, Vanessa, mm -hmm. you had some thoughts around that. I mean, I think we've touched on it a little bit already, Why don't, but please. Uh, what were you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I basically, um, I, I wanted to frame sort of APIs. I think APIs are often understood um, from a lot of people as, you know, a product in and of itself, and a lot of the time they are. If you think of, you know, Twilio or, uh, you know, Braintree and the payment providers, they're, they're, the API is sort of a product and a strategy in and of itself. But there are a lot of cases where, you know, from a business perspective, the API, and especially from a marketing perspective, the API is a growth tactic. It's a marketing tactic. Um, and if you think, as I said earlier, you know, there's sort of, if you break it up, you, you see three types. You see the API as the product, which I mentioned, you know, Twilio and Stripe, where their, their main growth metric is, you know, core, or core service, core service, use service, use themselves in that way. Um, but then if you think about it beyond that, even though we, you know, companies who really take their APIs to other levels and start to sort of productize it as something different, a lot of the time it starts off, the API is there to sort of project the main service behind it. So Load Impact is an example of that. We have an API, and it, we don't, you know, we had toyed with the idea, oh, should we productize it and sort of have the API be this, like, separate thing? But then we realized, well, you know, the API is just a window into the core service, um, and therefore it, it it is essentially a growth tactic. It is a way, as I said, in this typology, it is a way to get people to stick, so to you know reduce churn, increase retention, and get customers to spend more over time, increase customer um, customer value and customer uh, lifetime value. Um, so that is a that is a strategic marketing objective of your API. And then the third one, as I said, you know, with Facebook, it is the API is there to power and promote the core product behind it. In this sense, it's it's a, a marketplace. Um, so you think Facebook, uh, YouTube, Yelp, the, their API is there to build integrations, to build widgets often that enable both users to, to, to really sort of market the, the, the core service, the marketplace, or to get more content within it 
in order to like make its legitimacy bigger, basically. The more content, the more centralized, you know, they own that content, they have that content there, the more people and sort of legitimacy they get. So, so that's with the, that, last, yeah. that last one, would that be like trying to turn your your core offering into a platform more that uh, right. build on, on top exactly. of it? Exactly. I mean, yeah, I think that's something that we've seen, seen a lot of people promote is kind of think of your API as build your API layer first yourself, and then you build your your end products on top of that. But uh, I think, but I think you're completely right. But that's the end game. I mean, that would be for most of us. I'd say that that's almost the end game, and you want to be a platform. I mean, that that's one of some of the most valuable businesses are sort of two-sided platforms, or or have established such a dominance that they're they're there with their marketplaces and so forth. Um, but you need an API for strategy in order to to achieve that. Mm. But in your case, so do you offer your API for load impact? Is it for free, or is it is it something you get with the commercial with signing up for your service, or is there? As I understood it, it's more kind of a a way to get people to to um, stick with your product uh, and 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 maybe uh, discover it, or is that correct? That's right. So for us, for us, the API is really about. Um, at, you know, we talked about the concept, some of the, mm -hmm. the, the evolutions in load testing and performance testing at the beginning of the podcast. We're seeing people change their behaviors and, 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 and starting to test earlier and more frequently and automating it. And, and APIs are a way to do that. So it's in our, our interest not to gate it too much. So it is freely accessible. You know, you fall, how much you use it, of course, will fall under certain, certain software level subscriptions mm -hmm. that we have. But but we don't we don't sort of paywall the API access itself, um, and that's because we, we we encourage usage of our service in that way. So I, I think it's uh, just, I, I think it's an intriguing thought is, is that is that quality or QA related services can be bought you know just just like oh I need to run a load test I just uh, you know call this API I'll send up some parameters and some you know frame of that and get the result back it's almost like. Mm -hmm. It's obviously not like sending an email, but I think it would be great if 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 we could think about measuring the quality of our our systems in such a simplistic. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, in, in, yeah, in, and a programmatic. Yeah, programmatic, and because then it would be something that hopefully people would do more, which they should, and it would be mm -hmm. also something that would integrate nicely with the whole you know DevOps kind of automation world that we're seeing now. Uh, but I, I think from, from at least from my experience with with Testers uh, uh, is that at least they aren't often they aren't really there yet in kind of thinking around quality and quality related activities uh, in that way. I mean, there's just in the testing world, there's still a big push against tools, uh, and it's more about you know um, uh, exploratory kind of testing, and you can do exploratory load testing as well. I'm not saying mm -hmm. I think both both of are valid, uh, but just uh, I, think, I think a good testing strategy should probably include both kind of automated load tests and monitoring and functional testing, but maybe also do more exploratory testing to kind of, you know, push the boundaries of whatever system you're, you're having. But I think that that's one of the core differences between functional testers and performance testers. So uh, performance testers tend to be very tool-centric because really there's there's almost no other way to do real performance testing and load testing, and they also are... Um, I, I, the performance testers that I know are so much more like, oh, how do I want to say it, like a full-service 
car mechanic, and I mean that in the, the highest, most technical way possible, but they know how everything connects to everything else, and they know how to trace back an issue through all of these various, you know, paths through the product, through the network, through the, the servers to find, you know, exactly where's the bottleneck. So I think that it's a, it's a fairly different discipline um, when it comes to performance testing. So I would say that they are far more tool-centric than your, your average functional tester. Um, but I also, I think that uh, and I'm I'm curious, Vanessa, for your input on this. I'm I also think that they like to understand the entire pathway. So they like to know what's the capacity of the servers that they're actually the the application or the API that they're testing are are loaded on, and they like to understand exactly how how narrow or wide is the pipe that all the communication is going through. And so they, they tend to be, they have to understand all the nuts and bolts. And so my question is really, do, we, do you find that, and maybe we're segueing back in and out of the, the sort of performance testing versus marketing your API, but they're so intertwined. Um, but do you find that the and people push back on the whole load testing as a service or a load testing in a in a SaaS environment because they can't necessarily um, have the visual of all of the servers and the network and the connectivity? Um, I wouldn't say too much. I think most you know. Uh, we, we are cloud-based, and, and more and more companies have most of their their you know their infrastructure exposed um, over the internet. So, I don't think there's that much pushback from from having it, it from a SaaS perspective. Um, and I think there are there is a growing there is still that that type of performance tester. I think that's like you said, very tool specific. That likes to know works together, understands the pipe, and and that I think has always been our our core audience, um, those who really like to do what we call a sort of advanced, we have some very intelligent customers who really do some like interesting testing. Um, but at the same time, and I think when we touched upon this earlier, there is, you know, we see a body of our of customers, a segment of our customers that are very technical but are novice testers. Um, I remember going to a, to a meetup a while ago uh, with Google and, and there was an engineer and she was talking and she was saying, you know, responsibility for all the testing, performance included, load included, is it goes to all the developers, they have to take responsibility. And those those developers who have really sort of got a knack for writing their test cases and, and doing their test scripts are sort of these these really great heroes within the company that tour around and give you know some some helpful lectures to help everybody else. Um, so I think there's a growing body of, of technical people, developers predominantly, who are venturing into performance testing and don't necessarily need that full insight, or they know that there's their DevOps team or their ops team that, that has that responsibility, um, but they're they're interested in you know whether it's you know watching the the you know paying attention to regression or degradation in their code or their APIs or, or the integrations of their APIs. So I think there's still there's that that complementing needs basically um, with with the the the, the diverse side growing um, quite rapidly. And, and do you see where, so going back to the concept of how you market and position your API, 
has a lot to do with how you should be load testing. It may not necessarily be uh, what you put into practice, but theoretically speaking, the, those two things should be very tied together. Um, do you find that the the marketing folks who are positioning and marketing the APIs are are spending time with the performance testers to say, here's or or with the product managers. Uh, you know, is there a coordination there of saying, here's how we're going to promote the API, and therefore we expect a certain amount of load to come from that. And do do and the product managers see that as a um, set of requirements? Not nearly enough, um, and I think that's that's exactly what I saw when I was sort of doing my research. Um, I think we still we still market APIs apart from some some really sort of uh, you know advanced thinking uh, companies, and I'd say you know Twilio is a good example of that. Uh, most of us market APIs very much from the developer expect, uh, perspective. And, and rightly so for a lot of reasons, you know, make sure the documentation is good, you know, have good code examples. All these things are critical to, you know, getting your API adopted. Um, but, but missing the, the proper explanations, uh, use cases, case studies, all the sort of other, other communication you need to do to convince the other very sort of powerful people that are involved in the buying process or the integration decision let's call it, um, when it comes to APIs, uh, are often left out. Um, you know, it's, it's it, to, to speak to the product manager, to speak to the marketing department, and liaise with them is, is key to getting, you know, to getting that sort of that, when we talked about, you know, innovation, to getting the, the company thinking innovatively about how they can use your API. It's often about talking to and getting your marketing to speak to different people in that decision-making process beyond the, just the developers. Um, then it's not, it's, not, it's not done nearly enough. Hmm. I was, one thought uh, uh, I sometimes have when I see uh, companies building, you know, doing APIs like you do and then building services on top of those APIs, on their own APIs, which I'm guessing you're doing, uh, is, are you ever afraid of competition basically saying, hey, we can do, you know, we can use, use your APIs to build something uh, a better user experience than you're providing on your own. Is that something that is ever a concern, do you guys think, or is it, is it more hypothetical? Do you maybe even have a ULO or something? Um, it, it is a concern, and, and it has somewhat has happened to us before. Um, it is, but I think, um, First of all, they would be they would end up being a customer of ours, so it could be to our you know to our benefit really um, because you know there is there is thresholds that they'll reach, so it'd be difficult for them to build a complete replica um, without having to to pay us basically. Um, but uh, but I think it's just if you if you sort of trust in your own team's capability to differentiate with with the services around your API um, and the additional sort of functionality and usability and experience, then shouldn't be a huge concern. And I, and I don't think in our space a new entrant who takes that strategy would fare very well. So it, it, it always is, I think, in soft, whenever you're in software, it always is, you know, but, but no, not, not greatly. Yeah, I'm also thinking that maybe it depends on who's – I think there's, there's a line of a culture around APIs and maybe um, – how how people are building applications today and sharing functionality and I'm, maybe this also segues into to uh, open source etc where you kind of 
uh, afraid are we are we really going to give away or make available our you know our heartbeats <laughs> and the, isn't that uh, but it isn't that bad and then on the other but then you can say well counter argue say well we want to be a platform and if a lot of other people build uh, applications on top of our API even if they're somewhat competing as you said that will drive business to us ultimately and maybe that's what we're really good at is providing that platform it's something shows us direction but I'm just I mean we've seen in other cases where where we've we, where we worked with people who've been in the business like 30 40 years and it's kind of a cultural shift for them to make to suddenly start you know opening up and and, and allowing people to use what what they would have seen as a competitive advantage uh, you know the engine under the hood or whatever it would be so but um, I mean I mean I don't know if, if that's is that is that a challenge maybe that's more like a challenge in larger organizations. no I think Adopting I think it's also, I think it's it's very much a, like a philosophical discussion, and it, and it's ultimately a, a very sort of profound decision companies need to make whether you are a product or a software company or you're a service company. So, you know, if it, if you are more about the services, um, you know, then 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 that's what's important, and you differentiate based on that. So, if somebody, if you do go open source, and and that's a decision you make, it's because you trust that. You know, both you are going to give something to your customers of value that they they need and want, but that you you have the ability to upsell some percentage of them to to the additional services that you built that that you commercialize and that you you price you know that you you yeah that you offer on a on a premium level. Um, it it is a very sort of it's a big decision, but it's the difference between being a product company and and a service company. Yeah, and sometimes as we've seen, sometimes. People change their minds. I think in Netflix and Twitter, who shut down basically the APIs that they maybe they were initially thinking that will be a platform, but then found out that they, those those were giving others a competitive or possibility. That, so yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, Vanessa. Oh. I just gonna ask you. Do you, you want to add before we move on to the news stories? No, I think I was just. I think one of the, more, the things I'm most excited about uh, from an API perspective and product versus services and 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 sort of new innovation is is companies who are traditionally not um, technology companies who figured out that their you know their APIs in this in this sense from relating to the typologies I mentioned earlier is the way to sort of promote um, and market their core their core product or service whatever that may be. Um, as an example, you know, uh, uh, Absolute Vodka, a Swedish company, you know, they they released an API to with with uh, cocktail recipes, so that developers could build uh, applications, mobile apps for bars and so forth with all these different cocktail recipes. It, you know, Absolute being one of the one of the possible alcohols to use in the cocktails, amongst others. I think that's. I think they're so from a marketing perspective in particular. I think for those type of companies that have a lot of interesting content and interesting data, so interesting and so many opportunities. If they, if you, if basically the marketing team and the innovation team can really just unlock their minds with what they could do with APIs. That was really cool, but they never. Really, I, I saw that Nordic APIs twice. I yeah. think, but uh, I never. They never really launched it, right? Uh, it was, so it was a government regulation thing. They couldn't because of the alcohol rules in Sweden. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh that's too bad because I I saw it too, and I thought, oh, that's so clever. What I love, which you yeah. just touched on, I wish we had so much more time to talk through some of these concepts, but um, I, I love just this sort of very creative. Once companies embrace this concept of you can use your APIs. 
uh, to kind of think outside the box and do stuff outside of your normal product development. I love seeing how innovative everybody can get. I mean, think about mm-hmm. Absolute Vodka is in the business of making vodka. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even think that they'd come up with, hey, we should build an API, right? No, it makes it, I kind of think, what could IKEA do with an API? Yeah, exactly. You start to realize that everybody could do something with an API. It's, it's, um, that's what I love about it. That's what I, excites me about the industry is that it's just so, it's so creative. Yeah, and this yeah, is what I try. I try to tell you know, you know, my, my background is marketing, and I work with tons of digital strategists. And this is what I try to tell my colleagues about the ones that especially work in in non technical companies um, is is about APIs and what they could do from a marketing perspective. Because a lot of these are marketing initiatives, um, mm-hmm. and born out of the creativity of, of marketing departments. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot that can happen. But that's also just impressive with the absolute vodka. If that really came from the marketing department, because it was a technically pretty cool thing they did. There must have been some, uh, not downplaying marketing departments in general. I'm just saying there must have been some technical input there as well to kind of oh, come yeah. up with that idea. It was, it was, uh, it was really. I, I was really, and it, it was also so incredibly well packaged. They, they yeah. showed this this movie uh, or the, the film that they, they yeah. promoted. So it was kind of. Too bad they didn't make it over the finish line. I, but I wonder they should be able to do something here in the U.S. There you go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you wonder now. You know, sorry, just to, just to bring it build on what you just said is, um, you know, in the marketing in marketing, you usually do when you're giving sort of an assignment. Usually, you've been trained to do this to give it to like an agency, some sort of creative agency, an external party. Um, you give them a creative brief. So you're right. There was definitely some some technical people involved with this, but perhaps the the, the sort of the 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 seed of the idea about, well, how do we get bars and bartenders involved in our brand, get them to be thinking about being creative with cocktails. You know, it was likely an idea that was born, that sort of fundamental was born from the marketing department. Um, and together with, with the technical team, they came up with these ideas. So you wonder if more marketing teams can hand creative briefs to their development team and their technical teams and say, this is fundamentally what we're trying to do, and see if technical teams can come back and go, well, you know, with an API, we could kind of do this. If we open an API with this sort of data, we could actually enable these these things. So, kind of interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, it's an interesting thought experiment, I guess, with Absolute. If they were, if they would have gone public without API, would that have just appealed to us API, API, API holics, or would it kind <laughs> of have uh, been? Would have indirectly maybe broader reach. People would would have built apps on top of it and. That would kind of indirectly promoted the brand of Absolute. Uh, so obviously, I don't know, it's, but it's interesting. To, mm. Do you think it would it would have gone beyond the people at Nordic API, APIs and and their you know closest family to kind of uh, reach of uh, doing a marketing activity mm. like that? See, it all depends. It all definitely depends on the marketing team at, at the end. If they would have really, un, if they would have taken it to the finish and really understood that. The, the, the aim was to get developers to build an application, likely a mobile application on the API information. They did the marketing all the way to the end and marketed it quite well to developers. I think it, it likely would have been there. People would have seen both the business opportunity in developing a cool sort of premium mm-hmm. application that had that, that data that was being pulled from the, from the Absolute API. Um, Absolutely. Uh, it just depends if it was a marketing gimmick and a PR gimmick. Yeah, that, I guess that's the hackathon I would have gone to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> would have been fun. Okay, yeah. well, um, okay, great. Uh, uh, so, then, so that just to kind of um, round off the the session. So, a news item of the day. Uh, just go around the table. I'll start for once. Uh, something API related. So, what I wanted to bring up is something I've seen uh, a little bit uh, surprisingly. Uh, people are starting to write uh, negative articles about REST. Uh, mm. uh, I've kind of um, Maybe I'm not, because I'm not surprised, but I'm a little bit surprised. It's, it's uh, I, I guess we all knew it would come, right? So sooner or later, the, you know, even all technologies get, you know, get bashed sooner or later. But it, 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 it seems that there was a couple of articles and then others chimed in. So do you, I mean, I'm pretty sure that REST is going to be, you know, popular for a couple of years and then something else has come along. But do you, you think it's too early to say that? You know, we should kind of start looking beyond REST, or is it, is the time here to kind of, um, uh, um, yeah, really kind of consider what what do yeah. we think is? You know, I I think I think we've been gently looking beyond REST for some time. I mean, the whole, you know, how everybody does the air quotes and says RESTful. I think uh, uh, that's partly people looking beyond rest and saying you know well maybe there's you know the rest principles are great but maybe there's something that we need to tailor or maybe it doesn't quite fulfill everything we need and i i actually think you know if we look at uh, you and i have talked about this before Ula, you know things like you know netscape looking i not netscape oh my god i just had some sort of brain flashback <laughs> an api flashback um netflix you know, looking at their APIs and, and redefining them as experience APIs, mm -hmm. right? And, and, you know, while they may still adhere to the REST principles, there's, there's this need for people to start looking at APIs and saying it doesn't exactly fit uh, where we're going yeah. in the industry. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, the whole, the whole uprising of, of an alternative to SOAP, which is JSON-based mm -hmm. APIs, that kind of got... To me, I think the people who kind of pioneered that weren't thinking now we're going to do REST. It was that we're now we're going to do something that's easy and pragmatic to do. We'll use JSON and we'll use HTTP, and then it was kind of shoehorned into the principles of REST from a more academic perspective. Yeah. And and then I I think maybe that that's where the reaction is is to you know we we don't have to fit into the REST maturity levels of you know hypermedia or blah blah blah. To make good APIs, it, mm. we can do it just the way that we, where this originally came from. We solved the problem of something that was overly complex, which is XML and SOAP, and we created something that worked pretty well for us. And who cares if it's not super restful or state, whatever? You know, as long as it works, it solves our problem. It's easy to work with. I think that's fine. And maybe I think that's more the pushback I'm seeing is is this kind of uh, pushback to to um, the more academic talk around REST, and uh, which kind of I think pushes some people away, which I understand. Uh, uh, so I guess maybe maybe that's the reaction we're seeing, and, and maybe the, the answer is not, you know, something totally different, but just a more pragmatic approach to building APIs with JSON and HTTP, and, and not, um, like like you said, Netflix did with the experience API. Yeah, it's about building the APIs you need, not the APIs that, you know, are, as you said, are academically perfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
That's interesting. Sure. I, I mean, I, I just want to feedback in that. I, I don't know in details all, you know, some of the debates, and, and as I'm not an engineer, I don't go into all the details, but I've, I've heard, you know, I've been reading a bit about this too, but I've been talking to my colleagues today, and what I think is sort of to the, the unfortunate that there is still some uncertainty is if you think from a market's perspective, we're right on the cusp of more and more API tooling, so companies who are included including performance testing companies like ourselves, um, we're looking at, well, how can we, we, we bring about new tooling for, uh, for APIs? And because REST has sort of become a de facto or is, is popularized, that builds, that, that builds a layer of trust in that you can start to invest in developing tooling for, for APIs. But if there's a, a sort of resurgence of uncertainty and people are calling, you know, no, let's find something new, they, they sort of delay a very good phase when protocols and standardizations come about when tools and things start being built to service it. So any sort of delays that happen, it, it delays all these great tooling that, that is likely to come very, very soon. Hmm. That's yeah, a good I, point, actually. a very good point, I think. I mean, and I think especially the REST community has been struggling with uh, kind of the lack of tooling, especially when it comes to kind of more enterprise uh, right. adoption of the REST is, is where you know, when you have a thousand developers that need to do something in, in a similar way, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but tools are really good. <laughs> right, it's yeah, kind of, you, you can't just, uh, and, and, and of course, if, if those, of those thousand developers, you have like 50 developer groups and they all do things a little bit differently, it's going to make mm -hmm. it really hard. So if they could align around certain <clears throat> standards, uh, then that would, of course, make it much easier for, for companies like, like, like Low, Low Impact and SmartBear to build tools. That's right. Um, uh, to kind of help that, you know, fulfill, fulfill that need. So. so it's a chicken and egg, you know, does it need to be, does it need to be standardized before the tooling get, you know, all these new, great new tools get popularized and commercialized or vice versa? Do we need to launch the tools for people to accept, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's exactly it. I, you know, I've been, we were, uh, I was at API Craft not that long ago and a lot of conversation about hypermedia, but one of the things that people kept circling back to was, well, there's not enough tooling for hypermedia. So, you know, we wanted to adopt it, but we ended up not not actually putting it in place because there's not enough tooling. And so your point is exactly right. It's a chicken and egg thing, you know. But I mean yeah, that people have to realize from the from the market's perspective, all, all companies like ourselves like market, we, we wait for some indicators. We look at, you know, macro level and we start to do calculations on the addressable market. That's how we justify investments and innovation. So if you can turn around to your investors or managers or whoever the board and say, listen, this is a macro level trend that's been on this sort of growth trajectory and there's the addressable market of people who are building RESTful APIs is this size. We think it's prime time to build this type of tooling or this type of product to service that market. It takes a little time and if, if there's uncertainty, then that just throws, you know, that throws a wrench in the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and then I think also as soon as you get to the step, you know, where we we finally aligned on one standard and we've kind of you know formed some kind of uh, uh, agreement around it, that's gonna there's gonna be a group of developers saying, "No, that's not for us," <laughs> we don't, uh, and that's kind of kind of get the ball rolling for whatever uh, you know the, whatever's next. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic, uh, and, and where it's easy to kind of identify with with uh, both sides or all sides involved. Uh, sorry, I'm going to have to push forward mm -hmm. here. Uh, uh, time's flying. So, Lorinda, you're next. News oh, item. Okay. So, my news item is uh, from Metasafe. Metasafe uh, is a, like a 
uh, I guess a biometric company, um, and they are like deep into the quantified self movement. Remember quantified self? Everybody was talking about that for a while and mm -hmm. kind of fell off the radar and, and became a little less popular to focus on. But um, they just recently announced that they've done an integration with the human API. Uh, okay. and, what, and what that actually does is bring together all of your biometric information as well as all of your clinical uh, medication uh, prescription information and puts it into one big kind of data store for yourself. You know, this is, this is all about uh, understanding your own health better. Um, and so while that's interesting, I guess, by itself, it certainly is interesting, I shouldn't say I guess. It's interesting from the healthcare, the API healthcare perspective. Um, but I, I also find it really interesting because one of the things that I dwell on in my darker moments is, um, is the API security. You know, what, what exactly are we doing here? <laughs> so we're, we're building all of these APIs to pass all of this information around and we're encouraging third-party development and um, and so this is another, another uh, avenue where I look at this and I think, well, do I really want all of this information about me to be passed around through APIs and stored? Can't you, can't you control that? Don't you own that information about yourself? Well, yeah. uh, yes. And no. So what's there's a lot of sort of legal loopholes. You you own some of this data, but there are some, especially with uh, people doing API integrations, there are some loopholes that let them share your data, particularly if they believe it to be anonymous. And I think the reality is, you know, those of us in the in the biz know there's only a certain level of anonymity. Uh, anonymity can often be broken down in in certain ways, so you can you can track back to the source in some manner. Um, but so this data, once it becomes part of the whole data stream, whether or not it's specifically linked to my name, Lorinda Brandon, or whether it's linked to you know user ID, you know blah de blah de blah, uh, and therefore is technically anonymous. Um, is still out there. It's still vulnerable. It's still available. And I, I find it hard to believe, particularly from a, the average human's perspective, you know, the people out there who know nothing about how software is built or how APIs work or how data is managed. Um, I, I see it as something that, while it's cool technically, I don't want to downgrade that, and it's undoubtedly medically valuable. It, it's also uh, part of this whole data privacy, data safety world that the legal system, at least in the U.S., has not caught up to. So, um, you know, there's definitely some aspects like smart meters knowing whether or not you have medical devices hooked to them. Um, or, you know, in this case, you know, potentially all of this information that's coming from various places and being brought together. Are there HIPAA violations here? Um, and who's tracking that? Who's actually managing that? And I think that's where some of our legal 
our legal system hasn't caught up to some of the technical advances. Yeah, and just also the international aspect. I don't know if that this crosses boundaries, but I mean, the laws are very different. I'm guessing in all countries, you know, and how. I mean, I guess in the the sorry, I don't remember the name of the company, but that you mentioned. But I guess that's within the U.S. or is it tied to some specific? Uh, that's uh, a good question. So, or is it? Um, so it's so it's interesting because that's a very good question. MetaSafe is a uh, it's a health platform, so it's cloud based. It has smartphone apps, so you basically interact with your your MetaSafe uh, information through your smartphone. Um, and that's a good question about international because you know once you get into the world of of uh, smartphone apps. How do you manage those global boundaries? I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, so I'm, 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 uh, I'm actually excited by the kind of data mining possibilities here. So, uh, so yeah, I'm the wrong person to kind of, uh, but just kind of. Um, and doing just kind of epidemical research on, you know, uh, if you have huge amounts of data on on patient on, on health conditions and med and medications over time, I think there's so much to learn from, uh, you know, kind of analyzing that that data. And this goes back to the big data kind of thing, uh, you know, of of correlations and. Uh, um, Mechanics between uh, health conditions and uh, medications that are hard to kind of find without access to data. So I, I'm I'm like talking totally against you right now. So, no, but, no, no, uh, you're not. You're not that, really. Because so, I, but, but I think I mean to. Um, so I'm I'm kind of excited. But I think that's wow. That's amazing that we can align on or that someone's trying to build a platform where we can align on one data map because then we could finally do the kind of data mining where I think there's a lot of value to be found. I think the initial yeah. problem now is that you have all these incompatible systems and I'm talking Sweden now, every every municipality has its own system for storing patient data and it's more used to at least and it's very hard to kind of do very large scale studies. So if, what if you had like uh, anonymous or whatever that means, you know, uh, patient data for a 10 year period where you could correlate health conditions to medications and, and you know temperature and, and weather conditions whatever I, I just I just think wow you could do a lot of fun stuff with that data but uh, but obviously the flip side of is that should that data really be and what control do you have of that data do you, I don't maybe I don't want my data to be contributing to to the common good or I mean to to that kind of thing um, so yeah. Well, I think I think for me, uh, to be honest, it's it's um, I have a foot in both camps. I I do I agree with you. I think it's very cool, and I think the amount of information, you know, the more data that we have, the the more uh, smart advances we can make. So I I completely agree with you, and I this is that slippery slope of acceptance, right? So. Um, I agree with you about a lot of this data. It doesn't have to be healthcare data, but also just, you know, there's just a ton of information about uh, just traffic patterns and, uh, you know, uh, travel data and all kinds of information, you know, even financial data. How do people spend? Where do they spend? What kind of, you know, what kind of income versus uh, expenditures and 
you know, tracking all of that information I think is really in, interesting. And as you said, in the healthcare world, it's incredibly valuable. In the energy world, I think there's incredibly valuable information we can get from the general larger data stream. I, I also, though, when I, it depends on which hat I'm wearing. If I'm wearing my technology hat, I think, oh, that's also freaking cool. When I take that hat off and I put my personal Lorinda hat on, I'm like, okay, but gather all that information about everybody else and use it mm -hmm. to benefit me <laughs> because right. I, don't, I don't necessarily want all of my information out there where somebody can get it. Right. I wonder, you know, I wonder if there is the possibility to bring it to the owner of the data and this, if it's healthcare and sort of, uh, you know, bi biometrical information, if you're, especially if there's some sort of benefit to relinquishing it a little bit at the aggregate level for study, for trends, and for, you know, just improved uh, just research and, 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 and analysis that comes from that. If you put it, you know, a lot of people have had skepticism how people would behave with, with Airbnb. People wouldn't invite people in their homes. I think we're always surprised um, when, you, when push comes to shove how people, what choices people make. Um, so you wonder if, if you did give the choice. Either they could keep it private, or they could put it in the large pool for analysis and for for the the, the you know the creation of all these interesting services for services to which themselves you know having contributed their information. I don't know. I wonder what people would choose. Yeah, it's a great question. I, there's so uh, there's so many aspects to this, but I think I think there's certainly a vast part of the population uh, that would choose population. to share. I think so too. But, yeah, you never know. It's all speculation. Don't do it. We'll never know. So, Vanessa, you're next. Uh, what's your news item of the day? Yeah, so I did a little perusing. Um, again, I, I just typically come from the business side of things. So I was looking at uh, some blogs and stuff. And, and um, Appomatic, which generates SDKs um, for your API, and I think it's actually a smart pay or, or tool or you know, partner of some sort. Um, they launched their pricing, and I always think API pricing is interesting. And they they price by lines of code um, as their basic unit of value. And I just I thought that was interesting that they really they found a single unit of measurement that's that is understood by their like the target audience that's that's quite clear in a sense. Um, at the same and very comprehensible by that audience means nothing to me if I was looking at it, you know. But but I know my developers would know in those lines, you know, code of, what, my API. of the code they generate for your API. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, they are a partner of SmartBear. What I think is interesting about that, though, is again, perhaps I'm the skeptic of the group, but uh, I would look at that and say, hmm, they're generating the code. And now I'm paying for how much code they generated. How do I know that they're not generating excess amounts of code? Yeah. No, I totally I mean, agree. But you can, I was like, yeah. Wait a second. How, I mean, they they wrote, they created the templates. I mean, could you could you remove those comments, please? I don't need them. And um, the, this is unnecessarily, uh, you know, uh, verbal code. I could I could condense this into just one line. I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but as a developer, I'm like, hmm, doesn't really make sense, but uh, maybe I, 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 I'll read up on it. I'll read up on it. It'll be interesting to see how that really works out. The lines of code yeah. is something to really 
Yeah, it is new. And uh, yeah, so I just thought it was very, very interesting. Maybe it's not as comprehensible as they initially thought, but it's, uh, yeah, but very interesting. Totally but they have the ability to sort of calculate what it, what, like there's some sort of tool I think that you can use. They have some sort of calculators. You can get an idea um, in terms of cost. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Yes, very interesting. Nothing so many, so newsworthy, but. Oh, it's, that's a fairly interesting news story because I don't, I've never heard of anybody pricing that way before and it will be very interesting, you know, to see what the developer response to that is because I, as we're, as we're voicing, I, I would be fairly skeptical of that. Um, that would be like, like Word saying, you know, Word is free but we're going to charge you for the number of pages in your document and then, uh, but you can't control the font, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It just seems a little a little hairy. So that's an interesting story. I'm going to read up on Very. it too. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Uh, thank you so much, Lorinda. Awesome as always having you uh, uh, on the show, uh, the show on the podcast. Um, and uh, thanks to everyone listening. Um, I'm gonna. Um, uh, if you want to get in touch, have, have any questions, I think it's apisuncensored at smartbear.com. You can go to apisuncensored.io. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and I'm sure you can find it some other places. Uh, once again, big thanks to Vanessa for joining us today. It's been great having you here and uh, looking forward to the next session, whenever that will be. When will that be, Linda? Do we have a date? I, I, we don't have a date. Uh, no. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.